This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bandswear. What are bands? Well, bands are the best headbands that are on the market today. I know that with a lot of these advertisements, it sounds like it's very scripted, but I was actually having a conversation with Shannon yesterday when I had received the four that I would gotten from the Neon Collection. When I put them on my head and whenever I do wear the bands, it's the perfect amount of fabric I feel for one of those headbands. Some of these headbands where they're more so like a scarf that's municipal, you sometimes feel like you get lost in the amount of fabric or you feel like you have to constantly readjust. The best part about bands is that once you pick a spot that you want your band to be in, you forget it ever exists. It keeps your hair out of your face, whether you're going for a CrossFit workout or if you're like me and you just need to keep your hair out of your face while you're going to have a hit with your mom on the tennis court on a Sunday morning. It's perfect for any occasion. And right now, until the end of tonight, there is 25% off of their Neon Collection. I just picked up four for myself and for my girlfriend. She snagged one, obviously. She always does. But... um. But yeah, no, they're quality headbands, they last for you, and they're made and sourced locally here in St. Petersburg, designed by one of my good friends, Maul, and you just got to check them out. They're they're an excellent company, and right now, 25% off of their Neon Collection. For all of my festival goers out there, you're going to look good during the festival season once those festivals open back up. So you got to go to bandswear.co, and that is B-A-N-D-Z where.co and now on with my intro what's going on everybody my name's Lukey B, and this is another Honest Conversation. This week on the podcast, I had a good friend of mine on. His name is Blake Fosfed, and that is F-O-S-T-V-E-D-T. He is a financial advisor and also manages portfolios here in the St. Pete area. The reason why I want to bring him on the podcast is because about four months ago, he had told me a couple of predictions that he saw with the market based off of the coronavirus outbreak that was happening over in Wuhan. And I thought he was nuts. I was like, dude, there's no way. Everybody's downplaying this. This isn't that big of a deal. This isn't going to be an outbreak. Nobody saw this coming except for him. And he told me that there was going to be a crash with the market once it comes over here. There's a couple of other predictions that he made to me that almost happened 110% on the nail. And the reason why I wanted to bring him on the podcast is one, there's a lot of people that don't know what's going on with the American economy. And I wanted him to come on so that he could shed light on what had happened with the crash, why it's not comparable to the crash in 08, what's happening now, especially with our current economic situation, and what he anticipates going on for the end of the year, where we're anticipated to be, especially with the economics getting back on track. Knowledge is power, y'all. And there's a lot of good nuggets that are in this podcast and I'm so happy to release it today. Now, without further ado, this is another Honest Conversation. My name is Lukey B, 
and I hope you guys enjoy. If you like what you hear, give me a like, share, and subscribe. Take care. Yeah, like we were talking, it's just nice to break up the day, just get stuck into this routine, and nice to do something a little bit different. Especially when you're in isolation, you really don't know what the rest of the world's doing, and you kind of get stuck in your own... I don't want to say cycle, but that's the best way to put it. You get stuck in this cycle where you're just like doing the same shit over and over and over again. Oh, for sure. I mean, you wake up every day, especially during all this and running jokes like, what day is it? Does it even matter? <laughs> all the days just blur together. It's like, is it Monday, Tuesday, Sunday? I mean, what's it matter at this point? Yeah. So it's, uh, like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of different topics, but. We'll see where this goes. So, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, about your background. What What do you do? I know that we're coming on here. We're talking about the economy and what the impact of this pandemic is going to have, and just like the past, present, and future. But tell us a little bit about you um, while we're having you on. Yeah, for sure. So I am a financial advisor and portfolio manager. So, you know, I'm a little bit unique into with my role in that, you know, some of these big shops, whether it be, you know, Northwestern Mutual, Edward Jones, you name it. Um, your advisor usually isn't the one who's making the decisions on your account. Um, for me, all my clients, I personally manage their money and personally make the decisions as, as to, you know, what investments I think, you know, they should be in. Um, you know, I've been doing that for a little over 12 months. Uh, before that, you know, investing has always been something that has kind of more or less been a hobby of mine. It's really been a passion of mine. I've just recently been able to make it, you know, my full-time career. So, um, yeah, before, you know, before I entered into the investment world, I was in banking for a number of years. Uh, so I've seen the credit side of things and now I'm on the equity side. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride for sure. But that's so, that's awesome because I know from my own personal experience, it's, it's hard to know what you want and then to be able to go after it. Mm -hmm. That's a super frustrating process, especially when you're on one side of the aisle when you really want to be on the other. Oh, for sure. And you know, Looking back on it, you know, the moves I've made throughout my career now kind of make sense. You connect the dots, but when you're in it and trying to figure your way out, I mean, it just, you know, life can be chaotic and you just, you know, where you are at now versus where you want to be, you might have no idea how you're going to get there. But then once you do, you look back, and go, okay, this all makes sense. So I've been, I've been pretty fortunate in that. The analogy that gets used a lot when describing something like that, especially with your career or just life in general, is that it's hard to see the forest through the trees. Right, right. Yeah. But um, I know that I've known you for about, what, two years now? Yeah, going on two years. Going on two years. Yep. Um, and I know that we were talking. The reason why I, this idea sparked in my head to have you on to talk about this was when coronavirus originally became a thing, do you remember you started showing me what like you look at and what you look for right when it comes to like a trend right can you go into that like what 
what was the first sign for you that this was going to be a thing? Right. So I became, you know, it was kind of a running joke for a while, you know, back in early January and February, just how obsessed I became, you know, with this virus, just the videos and the footage that were coming out of China. You know, most of my news sources that I use are really secondary news sources. So a lot of Twitter, Twitter has been a great resource throughout this whole thing because you really get um, a little bit of an edge as to what is truly going on. Um, you know, there's, in this day and age, it's hard to kind of see through what's real and what's fake. But just the amount of stuff coming from the doctors, some, you know, the citizens over there that were able to get uh, footage out and leak documents, you know, even if 5% of it was true, you know, we knew we were going to be in for, you know, quite a wild ride over here. So that's, you know, I really did become, you know, jokingly kind of obsessed with this thing, just, just fascinated with kind of how we were kind of asleep at the wheel uh, and thinking that it would be able to be contained to just one area of the world when, you know, we are so interconnected as a global economy. It was just, was just asinine, you know, in hindsight. Um, but as far as, I remember that specific conversation where we were sitting at the bar there at Grassroots and I was looking at uh, volatility uh, is a great leading indicator um, as to which way the market's going to go. And there's a certain model that um, I've become really um, keen on that has just been super, super reliable um, in regards to, like I said, more of a leading indicator as to which way we're going to go. And really volatility peaked right before, um, you know, kind of shit hit the fan with the stock market. Um, you know, that model is, you know, I could go into it in detail, but it's, it gets a little wonky. It, it's probably going to sound like I'm speaking Spanish for most of you, but it's, uh, um, it was, uh, you know, like I said, hindsight's always 2020, but looking back, you know, I wish I would have been a little bit more personally prepared in my personal portfolio, but you know, especially with the stock market, I mean, it's, it's so hard not to look back and people are probably kicking themselves now, you know, when we bottomed out in March. You know, why didn't I, why didn't I just go all in? It's like, well, yeah, it makes sense now, but remember how you felt when you could have known, right? (laughs) Remember how you felt when, when, uh, the market was truly at its bottom and people were wondering if our economy would ever be the same again. And I go back to before the market took a hit. It's like, remember we were on one of the greatest bull markets in history, you know? So trying to predict that is asking, like I said, hindsight's always 2020. I know. And it, And to build off of that point, you know, we were coming off of such a strong run. That was, what, about a 10-year run? Right, right. Yeah, really since we bottomed out in, it would have been March of 2009. Yeah, it was one of the, it was the longest bull market in the history. Um, And, you know, I, we've we've seen a V-shape bounce so far, and I was always the proponent, proponent that we would. Um, you know, I really, you know, I personally don't think, you know, one or two quarters of flat to negative GDP growth is going to completely off rail our entire economy, just with how strong we were going into this. And one thing you have to keep in mind, the difference between something like this versus what happened in 08 and 09, 08 and 09, we had a really big imbalance in the housing market, which crashed our financial system. 
this was a completely external virus that had nothing to do with the fundamentals of our economy. So that's, you know, I've always been pretty confident that, you know, we, we would have a V-shaped balance, but trying to time that is impossible. So I just want to make sure that there's no confusion when you say V-shaped bounce. So that's literally, it's exactly how it sounds. Right. Yeah, where something comes down almost immediately or within a very short window of time, it goes right back up and it's on a similar trajectory. Is that correct? Right, right. So, you know, historically in the market, you know, the sharper the decline, the faster the bounce. So it's it's almost like a... Well, it's almost like a mirror, you know, like I said, the sharper the decline, the quicker you're going to recover. So that's, that's kind of what we've seen so far. And hopefully we'll get back to where we were before all this happened, you know, by year end. What, um, obviously the industries that come to mind for me that took the biggest hit, obviously the service industry, anything within hospitality, um, where you're providing an in-person service those are the industries that take the biggest hit but what were other industries that you saw come across your board especially managing portfolios um obviously we're not going to name anything that you are handling for your clients but what are what are some of the industries that got hit the hardest that you really weren't anticipating well oil just got killed really um and that was just because people aren't going places right I mean, oil was on a steady decline before all this happened, um, just because we, we truly don't know. We have so much supply in the world, it's, it's ridiculous, and most of it comes from the middle, middle East. And we were on, like I said, kind of a slow decline before this hit. Um, and then really what blew up the oil markets was, you know, OPEC is kind of the pseudo-cartel that controls oil prices. And... Uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia just got in a big pissing match and they both started pumping out as much oil as not as they could because Saudi Arabia could still keep going if they wanted to but they basically just flooded the market with supply when we were in the middle of a huge economic downturn where everyone's staying at home so demand for oil has evaporated while supply has just shot through the roof so it's um, it's hurt a ton of oil companies um, ton of energy companies, so the energy sector has just gotten killed alongside with the hospitality sector that we that you just mentioned. Wow. I so, mean, it just sounds like they can't give it away at this point because nobody's really, or they're or they're taking a loss at purchase. Right, right, and that's it's an interesting time, and just that I mean, you know, people are speculating negative oil prices. Well, that might sound crazy, but negative interest rates also sounded crazy until it happened yeah so it's just it's a strange environment oil's starting to recover a little bit but it's there's so much supply that it's i you know we're going to be we're going to be down here for a while at these current levels that's good though because especially with i know that i have a similar sentiment to you that this we're good I feel like we're going to come back and we might not be as strong as if we were just continuing on that steady incline of that continuous bull market. But I think that we're going to be back in a similar place where we're going to have a strong economy again. There's going to be a place, there's going to be a plan in place to maintain or to have preventative measures. So if something like this happens again, or if we have another wave of this come through, 
it won't be as bad. Right. You could almost view this as kind of a dress rehearsal. Yeah. So now after, you know, after we've been through it once, we'll have, you know, a plan in place to, you know, when the next pandemic does hit, because as history shows, it will. It's eventually going to um, happen. I mean, it, we had what the Spanish flu was almost a hundred years ago. Right. Right. Spanish flu, um, the Zika virus, H1N1, Ebola. Swine flu. Yeah, so it's bird flu. That was another one. So it's just, it's uh, it's only a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So, you know, you could view this as, um, like I said, more or less a dress rehearsal. So now we'll have those uh, plan in place. We know that this is a legitimate threat to the global economy. So it, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree because I know that this was a wake-up call for myself especially with just planning and what really matters. And I think that a lot of people are taking it that way, is that, like, this is, hey, this could be a lot worse than what it actually is, and maybe you should, you know, invest in something or save your money. And Right. I think it'll be – I think it'll make people a little bit more conscious about their savings levels for sure. Um, and, you know, it's – yeah, this has been – terrible for all of us but you know grand scheme of things our war on this virus involves us just staying home and watching netflix you know <laughs> versus something like you know that our grandparents went through with world war ii or the vietnam war so it's you know it's uh i like to complain about what's going on a lot but grand scheme of things i mean just got to stay at home and watch tv it's not too terrible no and it's just so funny because our generation because you're what 20 29 yeah. yeah i just turned 27 our generation and i would include myself in this i, I want to include you in this but i feel like a lot of our generation is so soft like that we don't we don't understand what it means to go through like a hard time or to experience a level of adversity to kind of sit in the flaws of our own characters and understand like what really makes us and what gives us resolve to be able to get through a situation um i don't know exactly where i was going with that point but i think that it was just me rambling on about uh just nonsense and just the current world events that we're in but yeah i agreed to the point that you were making that really this the way that we combat this virus is really just staying at home right right i mean there's yeah i mean this is the millennials do get kind of a bad rap for being soft and i don't know i'm torn between you know our our friend group that we you know hang around and know you know the majority of the people are very hard workers and want to get after it but you know, I can see the flip side of things you see you know all the shit on social media and the internet just just how soft our generation is perceived especially by you know the baby boomers and what they yeah. went through and just because our quality of life now is you know so much better than when they had it than when they were our age that it's it's hard to compare but now i'm i'm definitely torn between those two things so on one side like i said you know people that i know and i associate with and hang out with are all very hard workers and like to get after it but on the other hand i see where they're coming from so it's kind of a weird situation and i also think that we live in such a different world now too to that flip side of that comment of just like oh you're soft well 
we didn't have to register. Well, you still have to register for the draft, but we really, realistically, like, we don't have to worry about that. Right, right. You know, I never worried about that when I was, you know, 18 to 21, but I know that my grandfather went to war. I know that my dad was worried about that when right. he was a kid. Um, you know, we, everything, all information is accessible at our fingertips where if you didn't have like an encyclopedia uh, Britannica, like an updated <laughs> one, yeah. like you were just like, oh, so you remember that thing? Oh man, I can't remember the name. Uh, well, I guess we're just going to sit in that <laughs> like, ignorance and just have that bug me for a week until I remember the answer. Right. You know? Well, just think of that generation, how much bullshit you could get away with. If you oh just sounded God. like you knew what you were talking about, no one, you, could, you, you wouldn't be fact-checked. Now, you know, if you are sitting there and someone pulls, pulls a fact out of their ass, you can just look it up on your phone. Back. That's completely false. You're like, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that the Lorax trees were actually real. I didn't right. know that. Yeah, no, it, I, I come across that a lot in in my job, especially because it's like half sales and half recruiting. Right. I consider recruiting like sales because I'm pitching a position to somebody. Right. And and then you're in turn pitching your client, the company, person. right? That person. That yeah. person. So you see yeah. both sides of it. And it's just so weird because I the way that I sell is that I want to be the person that information flows through. Mm -hmm. And so I have to know like what is going on at all times. Right. And I'm not going to say that I haven't bullshitted my way through a sale or I haven't said things that weren't always correct, but I can see, I can see the flip side of that is that like, I know people that have just, misled and just blatantly made information up or misrepresented things mm -hmm. with the intention of just getting the sale instead of like trying to build a relationship and being like hey i might have to like because i don't know any friendship that is a hundred percent truthful mm -hmm. where you're not like there's not a little bit of a fabrication of right. reality there's not a little bit of a bend a little bit of a wiggle if you will but you know it's just it's such a so it's such a weird time to be alive man because everybody everybody can be right immediately right <laughs> right <laughs> with no like and that have no uh like premise of like expertise or anything right right and you just a great example of that is kind of what's happening are you familiar with grant cardone oh yeah 10x <laughs> yeah so this is still in this day and age this is what if you have charisma and being a true being a good salesman is a it's a true trait. It's a true skill. Yeah, and I, people that can do it, I applaud them because I, I never was. And there, there is a bit of that in you know, my current position because I do have to go out and win new clients. But my sort of sales is just talking about what I do and explaining my expertise. And but you're, you're basing, you're, you're leveraging your knowledge. Right. You're not right. Like I'm not pitching them. No, you're not positioning yourself. Right. You're, what you're doing is you're just like, hey, this is what I can do. Yeah, yeah. So back to uh, back to Grant Cardone. So there's, you know, I, I have friends who get who have gotten caught up with just him being as charismatic as he is, you know, with, you know, I've heard, I haven't read it. I heard the 10X book was actually good even for people who criticize Cardone, but his uh, his real estate business, you know, he recently had to file bankruptcy. Really? Yeah. So his his uh, there's a couple of pretty good YouTube uh, 
rabbit holes you can go down just exposing him as a fraud for what he is and how he just makes blatantly false statements on record and to lure investors into his uh real estate uh fund and now you know it's all completely blown up partly due to you know what's what we're going through i mean real estate's getting hit probably harder than any other sector probably some i should have mentioned earlier but um yeah he's he's going through bankruptcy so it's just it's just something to be mindful of you know no matter you know and he's always saying you know his jets that he has his cars his houses it's like yeah do you really you know are you really as financially sound and it's just you just have to be a little bit skeptical with you know someone who's that good of a salesman that charismatic um it's gonna blow up in your face it's almost too good to be true right. at that point where it's just like it's all a show it's just like him peacocking and posturing and showing right why he's so successful and what this style of life in this trade has brought to him but to that point to just kind of like build off of that i I've gone down that rabbit hole because I love motivational speakers. I'm a big Tony Robbins guy. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I love him too. Yeah. And yeah, Tony Robbins, he's great. You know, David Goggins is another one. He's oh not really a motivational God. speaker. He's Are just, you ki- yeah, he he's, is. Are well, you kind of, I mean, yeah, he's just crazy. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not human. If we're, if we're both humans, there's, you know, he's, he's something else, but yeah, I, I love them too. Um, and it does take, you know, some charisma to be one. But, uh, you know, Cardone definitely wasn't that. He was more of a cheesy salesman looking back on it. Yeah, he was more He was more just trying to position himself so that he could lure people in so that he could fund the plan. Because right. I remember going on those I, – I remember going on that rabbit hole that you were talking about. And he would spell out to people, like not in those big – like auditorium talks where he's probably in Vegas and he's rented out the MGM Grand. Right. He's, just, he's doing a rah-rah speech with everybody that's all hyped up, so he's feeding off that energy. He was, like, doing a podcast, like a live stream. And he was breaking down, like, how you don't have to have money to buy a rental property, like a full rental property mm-hmm. that you can find, like, 10 other people and borrow the money, and then you just are banking off of that equity, and then you buy another one because you have this you've already had this established relationship that you've co- hoaxed these people into. Right. So now you can buy another property and you can buy another property. And I'm thinking the whole time that I'm listening to him, I'm like, you understand that's like a pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> like a hundred percent a pyramid scheme. So you get five of your friends and they go and get five of their friends. Yeah. And he's a Scientologist. Can you, re- Are you ever, kidding me? can you ever trust a Scientologist? Oh yeah, he is. Scientologists are crazy, man. There's a whole bunch of them around this area, especially if you go downtown Clearwater. They've taken over. It's yeah. it's nuts the amount of real estate that they own. And they, they don't pay property taxes because they're technically a religious entity. Nope. It's bizarre. It's bizarre, man. Yeah. Um, to get back on track, though. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> to reel it back <laughs> in a little bit. Um, I know that we were talking a little bit before we, before we got on the tangent. Um about that V bounce that come back in the market. What are you seeing right now that's happening in the market in terms of present day economic state? I know that there's a lot mm-hmm. of volatility in the fact that everything's mm-hmm. changing on a daily basis, but what are you seeing on the ground level? Mm-hmm. 
so one thing that people have to keep in mind is that the market's going to recover before, and I said this, I, I harped on this to my clients, that the market was going to recover before we've seen the worst of this virus, and it has. And, um, you know, we're almost, we're probably 10 to 15% away from where we were before shit really hit the fan. Um, and I think we're just starting to see more uh, positive news coming out and the markets reacting appropriately uh, really the some of the one of the tells that we were near the bottom is once the market stops having knee-jerk reactions to negative massive negative headlines once it's kind of priced everything in then uh, uh, that's a good signal that we've bottomed out and you know I I strongly believe that we bottomed out back in March and you know, for the longest time after that, pretty much every talking head on CNBC was saying that, you know, we're going to retest the lows. This is a classic bear market rally, um, blah, 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 blah. We're going to either retest the lows or make new lows. And it's, I have a hard time believing. I just don't know what would cause it, you know, unless we had another just massive wave that, you know, killed millions of people. This virus that reemerges maybe in the fall that and I could see. like stronger. Yeah, that would be worst case scenario, depression sort of uh, scenario. But it's, you know, once I get, I'm going back to once everyone is has a position on something, once everyone's saying the same thing, like I said, every talking head on CNBC was saying, we're going to retest the lows, we're going to retest the lows, be patient, be patient. It's like, that's when you want to take the contrarian view and kind of go against the herd. Yep. Um, and it's, I mean, the market is the definition of herd mentality and, you know, being able to kind of sift through that and take a step back and just look at it from a objective point of view. Um, takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, looking forward from here, we've already bounced probably uh, close to 20, 30% from the lows. Um, I expect we'll be either at or above where we were in February before year end. Um, it sounds like Florida announced today that the, the governor announced that we're going to start reopening on Monday. Um, I imagine Texas is going to do the same. Um, there's parts in California that are urging to reopen. Um, everyone's just itching to get back to work. Um, and I, you know, we have the greatest and most resilient economy in the world. Um, and it's kind of showing, it's kind of showing those uh, characteristics now just with how resilient the market's been the last couple weeks. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm bullish. I think, like I said, we're either going to um, end the year where we were in late February or be above those levels. Now, just to, just to clarify for people that, don't know what bull and bear mean can you just elaborate on that yeah yeah i use a lot of i mean <laughs> uh, the in the investing world with every with every trade that you have your own you have your own uh, vocabulary and language and you know a bull market is basically you think the market's going to go up a bear market you think it's going to go down i don't know the history behind how those terms became but i just like i said you i hear them every day and you just you just start to pick up on them I mean, it's just, the, it's the lingo. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you were, you were talking about how everything started to 
come back and bounce back and how you just have to take a step back mm-hmm. and really sift through everything for what it is. It's such a hard thing for people to do with their money. Oh, for sure. You know, there's for so sure. much emotion with that. How, how does, how did, I guess, how did you develop that? The psychology, psychology is almost as important as, you, you know, your financial analysis abilities in the stock market. Um, psychology plays a huge role. Cause like I said, you know, you want to just follow the herd, you know, you, you have those knee jerk reactions, you know, we have a four or five percent down day you just want to sell everything and so psychology plays a huge role in it and it's just I, I don't know man it, it it takes a lot of discipline it it I, I don't know if I have a good answer for you it's just something that you know once once you once you see how successful people like Warren Buffett are and you know all the great investors Peter Lynch um, Paul Tudor Jones, all these guys are very stoic. They're very calm. They're very um, just kind of kind of how you have you seen the show Ozarks? Yeah. Kind of how Jason Bateman is in that <laughs> just like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. I guess we're laundering money for the mob well, now. And this is this is how it is. This we're is gonna happening. Do, we're going to do this, this and this. And that's I mean, that's we laugh at, but that's kind of how you have to be. And it's it's just. Um, just a skill set that you kind of develop over time. It's just being able to sit in that pocket and being okay with the discomfort at that point. Right. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, those, the, the past couple months have been, I mean, cause when I came into this industry, you know, I've, I've really been managing my own portfolio since I was a freshman in college. Okay. But when I started managing other people's money, it was May of last year. So you take a look at a chart from May until May of 2019 to February of 2020. It was great. Clients were happy. Everyone was making a ton of money. Um, and then this hit and basically turned into more of a psychiatrist than anything. Just pleading for, you know, most of my clients are pretty educated and, you know, they've, they've been through these cycles before and they know that, you don't lose money until you sell. Yep. Um, a couple just wanted to dump everything, and it, it took all I could just to talk them out of it. But at the same time, they're watching their account drop 30%. I'm telling them, look, do not sell. You know, We're going to rebound, whether it be six months from now, a year from now, but just, just hold on. They're looking at it like, well, this guy just wants to keep managing my money because right. his livelihood, but... You know, objectively, that's truly what I believe and what I did with my personal portfolio. I didn't sell a single thing. I actually bought on the way down. Um, so it's 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 been tough. It's um, fear and anxiety. I mean, we've never had a drop this sharp this fast. And when you're sitting there every day just seeing another 5 to 10% down, just red, red, red every day, just negative 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 news it, it's really hard not to let that consume you yep. um especially when you have to be in it like right it's, it's it's different like for me where i can turn it off right you're having to reassure clients who are trusting you with 
their financial livelihood, for lack of a better word, right, or terms to say it, right, and they're probably looking at you just exactly how you were saying, just like, man, I don't think that this guy understands, right, like, this is this is what I've worked so much for, right, and I might as well just take the hit, but right, like you were saying before, I think that it, the circumstances, especially from a financial point of view, just to circle back around to the beginning of this, this isn't like the the real estate market crash where mm-hmm. an entire sector was basically being defrauded off of what off of those mortgages that weren't fixed on like sliding scale mortgages and giving people houses and yeah yeah i mean what happened in 08 and 09 uh the big short is one of my favorite movies Fantastic. and it does a pretty good job but it doesn't explain the whole picture um 08 and 09 was a uh, it's a very complex issue as to what occurred um 10,000 foot view you know what you saw in the big short is what happened and what caused it um but there in my opinion there's there's a lot more blame that needs to be put on the government who is basically forcing banks to make mortgages to I'm trying to put this delicately, but basically to people who couldn't afford them. Each bank has a quota um, that they have to hit of mortgages that they have to make to low-income individuals. If you can't afford a house, you shouldn't have to buy one. Yeah. And that narrative was pushed very, very hard in the early two thousand, the late '90s and early 2000s. And which narrative? The if you don't have the money to buy a house, for banks to lend to low-income individuals. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there's the affordable, the affordable housing. I can't. There was two two acts that were passed, and you know, like I said, I worked in banking for a while, and um, it's it's something that they, like I said, banks are mandated to do. So you have that dynamic along with once you provide them a vehicle to be able to package those mortgages and sell them to the secondary market, those mortgage-backed securities, gives them even more of an incentive to do so. So, because they don't have to carry the liability on their books. Gotcha. So it's basically they're wiping their hands clean right. from the sale that they've already made. Right, gotcha. right. Um, and then you had the rating agencies. So that was kind of a short clip in that movie. No, but where it was like B minus low. Well, the, these 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 mortgages should have been rated junk, and they weren't because if Moody's didn't rate them that way, then the big investment banks would just go across the street. You know that famous scene where she's yep. sitting at her desk to uh, one of the other ratings agencies who would play ball. Yep. So all these investors thought that they were getting investment grade uh, mortgage backed securities when they were really junk. So there was, I mean, there was certainly there's. A lot of blame to go around, but I think the big picture, you just people just think it was greedy bankers. That's not completely true. There was a lot of layers that went. There was a lot. It's a more complex problem right. than just the banks. Right. Is that everybody was trying to make money on this? Right. And a, and a lot. Another big common misconception is that it was all the major banks. There was only two or three really that played a role into what happened in 08 and 09. And when the federal government came in to bail everyone out, they forced 
all the major banks to take loans from the government. You didn't have a choice because they didn't want the bad actors, quote unquote, to um, to be exposed. Gotcha. Okay, so they forced all these banks to take loans that they had to pay back with interest. So, on the topic of bailouts, because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, news circulating now of people that are bit that are against bailing out any of these corporations, blah, 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 because of what happened to 08 and 09, the government made a ton of money off the bailouts of 08 and 09. Gotcha. All from the major banks. They didn't make a single penny off of bailing out the auto sector. But all the major banks that they bailed out, they made, I think, the latest. There's a website that tracks it because they're still making money off of it today. Of course, because you're talking about, are we saying trillions? trillions? Billions. Billions. Billions, okay, billions of yeah. dollars. That they've made, that they lent out, it was probably trillions. Gotcha. But that they've made, they've profited between thirty and forty billion wow. uh, from those bailouts. And like I said, that that's all the bailout, all the bailout programs that they did, and all the profits came from the major banks. So we can't, you know, the bailouts are kind of circulating again now, and there is there is a time or place for them. Yeah. Um, this is the time and place, right. you know, where it's like a global pandemic. It's not where a whole sector of the market crashes because of this very complex issue that everybody's trying to cash in on. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, especially you talk about airlines. Mm-hmm. That's the big one where people are kind of like, well, wait a minute. Should we really bail these people out? Right. And I don't think that people understand how... If a whole sector of our economy goes down, I'm not going to elaborate on it because I'm not the expert, but can you please elaborate on what would happen if a entire sector of the economy went down, like travel? Right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it really depends on which sector. Um, I'm going to lead with this. There's talk about bailing out the oil companies in the U.S. right now, and I think that's a terrible idea. The... Oil was on a steady decline going into this thing. The majority of the oil drilling that we do here in the States is only profitable. Um, each region and each type of drilling has a certain break-even price okay. of oil. Oil has to be at $30 a barrel for you to make money or $40 a barrel to make money. Most of the oil drilling that we do here in the States really can't survive under 30 or $40 a barrel. Saudi Arabia can make money as low as $5 a barrel. Really? Just because their reserves. And it's the, I don't know it very well. Um, I just know that that's the price that they can survive. Gotcha. You just know the break even, you know, right. what, you know, the numbers behind it and yeah. you know, the economy. big picture. Yeah. I get it. Details, no idea. So, <laughs> 10,000 feet up. Yeah. Fantastic view. Yeah. If we step in and bail out the oil companies now, we are basically taking risk out of – I mean, there was a risk when these companies decided to go and drill in the Permian Basin, which is down in Texas and New Mexico, and the government didn't force them to shut down unlike airlines and travel. Um, we were already headed below $40, $30 a barrel before this. This just kind of 
expedited the process. Uh, we're basically telling people if we do bail out the oil companies that, hey, if you start a business and shit goes bad, we're here to have your back. And that's that's not how it is. Right. You have to know the risk when you go in, and there was million, probably billions of dollars that piled into the Permian Basin. Um, that you know, I hope they don't get bailed out. Back to your original question. Hold on, before we get the, can you save that? Mm-hmm. Real quick? What is the argument besides obviously we want to save people's jobs? What's the argument to bail them out? Jobs. Jobs. That's yeah. Really. Okay. Yeah. Or I mean to continue to be energy independent, I suppose. Um, but they, you know, this is just an industry that we have to realize we have to take a back seat on. The, the amount of supply that comes out of the Middle East is absurd, and uh, it's just something that you know we're gonna have to live with for a while. But uh, you know that w- that was a big deal, and on uh, you know Trump continuously talks about it, and I'm you know admittedly I'm a conservative, and generally I'm a Trump supporter. But being you know um, I don't I don't agree with everything he says. No one should, right? Because uh, then you're just delusional. And then you're following uh, the herd. Some of the shit that comes out of his mouth, I just laugh at and shake my head and, you know, Jesus, at times this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And, you know, one of the things that really got me going was when they were tossing around the idea of bailing out the Texas and Oklahoma and New Mexico oil companies. It's just just a terrible idea because you're taking, like I said, you're, you're giving them a backstop when they knew the risk going into it. Um... So yeah, really the main the main argument that they would use is to save jobs, uh, but it's really only uh, I believe it's under five percent of our total economy. So yeah, it's gonna suck. There's gonna be a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of uh, consolidation in that sector, but um, that's that's life. Yeah. And much like this, I th- I think that back in '08 and '09, I think it was reckless to bail out the automakers. Like I said, they None of that bailout money was ever paid back. Right. Government lost billions of dollars on bailing out the auto companies. And uh, here we are again. Auto companies are in a tough spot again. So, you know, back to your original question, you know, what happens if a sector like travel goes down? You know, with the government mandating a lockdown and forcing you to close your place of business or forcing your demand to significantly drop due to their actions and their policy decisions, then they should come in and lend a helping hand. I do firmly believe that. Um, so if you know if something like if something like the travel sector gets completely wiped out, it would it would bring down it would bring down the rest of our economy. Yeah. Millions and millions of jobs would be lost. Because it's it's almost, it is a domino effect at mm-hmm. that point. Because you're talking about, especially with a global economy, I don't think that people realize how important specific sectors are. Yeah. You know? Everything's so interconnected. So let's say the airlines go down. Well, what about those people who manufacture the planes? What about those people, you know, travel sites like booking.com or Expedia what happens to those people what happens to resorts. hotels and resorts and you know we are our economy is a service economy um, 
so many jobs are tied to the service industry. That's the majority of our uh, GDP is, like I said, we are a service economy. So it would be, it would be detrimental. Yeah. I mean, and I think that the more that we stay home and the more that we see that this is happening, I think that the more that people realize on every level that we are so connected as a society Mm -hmm. that if one if one of us goes down that we really can't afford we really can afford it yeah i mean a great example of well, the question you just asked is look what happened in 08 and 09 when the housing sector took a hit yeah. everything came down with it yep. it's just a domino effect so it's it's uh you know same thing the airlines go down then what about all those banks that lent them money yep they're in trouble they are and then you you see that domino effect so it's yeah i mean our economy is truly very interconnected and you push over one domino and it's can get hectic where do we go from here that's i guess that that's what a lot of people are asking i think that the less media you take in the more clear that it gets especially like if you go mainly off of twitter and a secondary source mm-hmm. because you hear about what's happening around the rest of the world and right. you hear about what's happening here i know here in pinellas county we really haven't seen that big of it i personally haven't seen that big of an impact of this but i know that i have a friend that lives in new york city and they are not even considering opening up until after june 1st yeah well my sister lives in brooklyn oh wow so she's been down she's fortunate um that my my parents you know they have they have a condo down here and they also have our house that i grew up in back in omaha still um she's been with them for going on two months uh she's a bartender in Times square and then she uh um, you know she went to acting school and is still you know she does you know off-broadway shows and uh, stuff like that and bartends to pay the bills um so she's been down here for going on two months and she was supposed to go back May 1st, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen because no. what, what do you do? We, yeah, we've, <laughs> that's a really good yeah. question. Well, you just, I mean, truly, like here, you know, in Florida, yeah, we've been locked down kind of, but you can still order takeout. You, you just can't go to restaurants. About? Kind of. Yeah. I, real, I, the only thing that this has changed about me is that I'm not at grassroots mm. as much, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not going to the gym. Right. You know, but other than that, like, I think that the only thing that I've really changed about myself is that I've become a homebody, but I'm still going to the grocery store. Right. Right. I'm still going. I'm getting takeout. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm not sitting and I'm not eating at like a restaurant per se, but we still have like most of our amenities besides the beach. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is always puzzling to me. Like, why did they ever close the beaches? That's bizarre. But parks can be open? I can tell you right now the reason why they closed the beaches is because of spring break. <laughs> that was and because, yeah. And yeah. I, I remember watching CNN. I don't know why I fucking did that, by the way. It was like Wolf Blitzer yeah. standing in like this weird avatar looking like screen platform. And it's just like red everywhere, red and white and typical just like really weird 
news music. Mm-hmm. She's like, breaking news, Florida beaches stay open amid COVID scandal. And I see this shot from like a helicopter and I'm like, oh man, those people are so dumb. And then I saw the bottom right hand corner of that screen and it said Clearwater Beach. And I had like a V8 moment. Like it just hit the top of my head. I was like, oh my God, we're the fucking laughing stock of the country again. Right. It's rough enough that we have Florida, man. But now we have to now we have to deal with this whole entire COVID thing. And everybody's just everyone I think that we have appropriately overreacted to something that could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Could I agree. Been a lot worse. Yeah. I mean there's still so much unknown about the virus yeah. and I'm not gonna act like I mean I, you know, there's so many conflicting reports that are coming out. We, ju- we just don't know, and I'm not going to act like I do know or what the best situa- or scenario or situation is, but it's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, that was, I do remember that. And they, they were interviewing those kids that were just like, oh, this they're is like, our... They're and 18 like, years old, and they're yeah. just trying to have fun. Right. You know? And it's just, uh, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I think that that is such a, a good point. You know, why are you closing the beaches but you're not closing any of the national parks or any of the parks right. for people to go hiking like yeah. what's the difference really yeah i mean i go i go running down at north shore every now and then and it's packed oh my god it's packed so it's like how is this any different from the beach like it's the same same thing i i got upset because uh you know where Purrier park is yeah. right yeah so they have the tennis courts and the racquetball courts that are like right next to it mm-hmm. and during quarantine, I guess that everybody's realized they're like, hey, we can still go to the parks, we can go play tennis. I was sitting against a wall. I was not even playing with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I go there one day, and tennis courts are locked, and then they've put a fence in front of the openings for the racquetball courts mm-hmm. so that you can't even play by yourself. And this is me just being that old guy on his lawn, shaking his fist at this point. I'm just like, God damn it. Are you kidding me? I can't even play by myself. (laughs) Right. Ah, what the hell, man? All right. Well, I guess they were in quarantine. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's bizarre. It's how you, how you can compartmentalize the difference between the parks and the beaches. They're the same thing. You got, even before all this, it's not like on the beach, there was a bunch of strangers just, within six feet of each other you just go with the people that you know and you stay away from everyone else i mean that's kind of how it is so it's been interesting yeah especially up in jacksonville beach they um you couldn't bring a towel (laughs) so bizarre it's such a weird time man yeah it's it's just hysteria because typically you know sand is like one of the worst places for bacteria viruses to live yep so it's like okay can't breathe. It's bizarre. Did you see where they were um, once they reopened Jacksonville Beach, where they were showing those the um, photo of the article, basically just slamming Florida and Jacksonville for reopening their beaches? Yep. Because they were packed. Was taking was taken at a different beach, like yeah, five I, years I or whenever that. it was, and someone showed it side by side. It was, was just like, a different. It was this? just a different Getty image. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that with some of the hospitals in New York where it'll actually be a hospital from, like, Italy. Mm-hmm. And I just I just find that just gross. Yeah. Like, that's not journalism. What right. are you doing? Right. Like, you're making a clickbait article. Right. Why are you trying to make people upset at this point? Right. Like, I understand. 
Right. The world is upside down. Right. And the sky is falling. But for God's sake, please. If you don't, if you aren't doing anything, and you are keeping your distance, and you're being responsible, and other people are doing the same, I understand that you don't want to have a mass group of people, but I also recognize that it's no longer spring break. Right. And if people want to go and walk along the beach, I don't know what the harm is in that. I can understand the counter argument of wanting people to not be crowded at places, but that's my opinion on it right it's just like we really don't know how this thing reacts in the heat either so we don't even know how because a lot of the issue that it comes with with this virus is that we really don't know how it reacts in general right like over a long period of time and what i've heard and what i've seen is that in different parts of the world there's a different evolution and a different i don't know if viruses have a genome or like uh a strand of DNA or whatever, but they have evolved in different places to the climate, to different people. And maybe it's just something that kind of triggers almost a reaction with people that have underlying health issues, Mm -hmm. because that's really the thing that I've seen is that granted there's a lot, there are people that have been affected that are perfectly healthy, but the majority of people have these underlying health issues right uh, they're obese or they have heart problems or they have a respiratory issue and they get pneumonia and COVID-19 and now they have this fluid in their lungs and they can't get it out of it or they can't survive without a ventilator right yeah right yeah if you have if you have what is it is it type 2 diabetes that's the one that's just caused by bad health and type 1 is due to genetics yeah i think that type 2 is where it's just like an overload of insulin so your body doesn't know how to really break it down yeah so if you have type 2 and you get this it's like it's basically a death warrant like you're it sucks yeah there's there's a lot of you know back to your point there's you know people with underlying conditions that get this it's it is nasty and it's yeah. um you know i'm gonna kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent I, you know back when i was first seeing some of the stuff that came out of china back in january and early february i actually had a buddy of mine back in um omaha he was um a fairly good friend of mine you know not one he, he's someone that when i would go home i'd hit up see what he's doing uh you know, go out with him whatever uh, but uh, you know i won't I call him a best friend or anything like that um but he passed away from pneumonia um it's 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 a cr- crazy sad story i mean he was he was he's my age he's 28 29 he actually almost made it to the nfl uh wow. was a stud linebacker at a d2 school called northwest Missouri um, won a national title, led the team in tackles. Like I said, almost went to the NFL, but fucked up his knee uh, before the combine and just was never the same. And uh, he unexpectedly passed away in his sleep. And um, you know, I was talking to some of my friends back home and trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Like, what, what the fuck happened? He uh, <coughs> four days before he went to. It was four or five days before he went to uh, the doctor for the flu. Um, and um, 
it was pers- I don't know if he was prescribed anything or you know what came of it, but it's four or five days later he passed away in his sleep. And when they did the op- autopsy, they said his lungs were just fucked. Now this is before coronavirus really became a widespread fear in the states. This was back in would have been February, early February. Yeah. Late January, early February when this happened. And um, just from all the stuff that I knew about how this virus just wrecks people's lungs and basically you end up dying of just severe, severe pneumonia. Yep. Um, I was telling, you know, my friends back home, I was like, look, they, they got to check them for this, this coronavirus. And this yeah. is before it was, it was kind of a taboo thing. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, that's, that's more or less probably what, you know, caused them to pass away. So when, when I started to hear that people only with underlying conditions were susceptible to this thing, you know, firsthand experience, I knew that wasn't completely true. Right. And there's still so much unknown about it, but it's, that, that's, that's really, when that happened, that was kind of a, oh shit moment for me that like this, this is the real deal. Now, I don't know, like I said, this is speculation. I don't know if, um, that's why he passed, just doing deductive passed away. But yeah, you look at the facts. I mean, he went to the doctor and four days later, died of severe pneumonia. You know, something that moves that quickly. It's especially with somebody that is a superior athlete. Yeah, yeah, he was he was healthy young kid. It's crazy, crazy sad. But that's that's really when I, you know, kind of opened my eyes that we there's so much unknown and we still don't know about this virus and how it reacts and. It'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out of the research over the next coming months. Yeah, and with anything like this, and I'm sorry to hear about your friend, man. That really sucks. Um, I know that I haven't had anybody that's been nearly affected. I know that I worry a lot about my grandparents. Right, right. You know, because they're over 80, and I don't want to say that I don't want to say definitively that I don't think that either one of them or either any of the three of them could get through this, but I feel like anybody that has, that is more so towards the end and reaching the finish line of their own life, like it's just, it's such a scary thing. And especially if you live in an area of the country, you're from an area of the country that's, I wouldn't say similar to the one that I'm from, but it's more rural than anything. I'm Mm -hmm. from Delaware Mm -hmm. and it's Delaware is definitely right-leaning I can say that for sure Mm -hmm. and I worry that they don't take it seriously Mm -hmm. you know where it's just like no we'll be fine you know the media is just taking is spinning this out of control and then they become a statistic right and that's really that's my biggest fear and that's my biggest takeaway when it comes to this situation that we're in is that people take it lightly and they end up on that wrong end of the stick. Right. Yeah. I mean, with anything, you know, on, you know, on one extreme, you think that this is way overblown. There's absolutely no risk. On the other end of the spectrum, you have, you need to be on complete lockdown. Do not go outside. Do not go anything. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. On which end of the spectrum it lies, who knows? But that's anything in life. There's always two extremes, and the truth is probably lies somewhere in the middle so it's you know on one hand um you know this is probably overblown a little bit now 
we're starting to learn now. Before, we had no idea, and unknown's one of the scariest things, just the uncertainty. Right. Um, but, you know, it's – you can't just take – you can't just take one end of the extreme and say this is it and this is how it is. This is how the world is. I mean, that's yeah. um, it's just how it is. Yep. So now, from where we go from here, mm-hmm. do you expect us to make a full bounce back? Yeah, yeah. Before before year end. Yep. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think we like. I think I mentioned this earlier. We're we're either going to end the year higher than we were in late February or um, around those levels. Um, where we go from there, who knows? A uh, lot's going to ride on the election, this upcoming presidential election. Um, I think the biggest risk moving forward, I don't think it's another outbreak of this virus. I think it's kind of run its course and we're going to figure it out. And um figure out how to control this thing i think the biggest risk we have in the markets moving forward is another all-out trade war between us and china um trump and his administration is already hinting at it that you know it's now being brought to light just how much china actually knew before they um how much they knew about this virus before they kind of came clean about it and how much they truly did cover up right? Um, and how the, the World Health Organization was kind of complacent with how they were handling things. You know, for example, right before their Lunar New Year, um, which is a huge holiday, I think like a month, month off of work or something crazy really? like that. Yeah, it's the biggest travel holiday in the world. Um, President Xi allowed, I believe it was 6 million uh Chinese citizens to travel. The next day, he put the entire country on lockdown. So, if you know you're going to put the entire country on lockdown, why why would you let that many people leave your country right before you make... I mean, six, that's a lot of people. And that's, that's really how this thing spread. Yeah. So, I, there's just a lot... And then you had... And then for a while there, China was saying that this originated from an uh, American laboratory that was yeah. brought over to Wuhan. And, you know, there, there's no... And then on top of that, and I'm not trying to skip... Uh, no, go and, for it. But they're saying because of this resurgence, the second wave, mm-hmm. that the reason why is because there was a Chinese student that went... That came back from America, and it's now, it's like, it's now sparked this second wave mm-hmm. that started over again. So it's... There's a lot of misinformation and propaganda on that side that are coming out now from their media sources right and people you know i people need to remember that china is a communist dictatorship okay they are not a democracy they are much closer to north korea than they are to the united states in terms of their political climate okay it's widely known that the economic data that's released out of china is horseshit right it's no coincidence that their gdp estimates and their pmi estimates every every quarter hit exactly what those estimates are okay 
They say they estimate their economy is going to grow by 6%. Next quarter, it grows by 6%. Exactly. It's just, it's laughable. And, you know, everyone on Wall Street knows that their economic data that comes out is horseshit. Okay. So you have to be skeptical of any news that comes out of China. I mean, you just have to be. Right. And I'm just using a little bit of deductive reasoning. Okay, if their economic data is horseshit, and I don't know if you saw the story with Luck and Coffee. Luck and Coffee was one of the hottest stocks last year. Okay, they said it was the next Starbucks of China, and it grew like crazy. It came out; it was a complete fraud. They were making really? they were making up the numbers completely. And this is a this is a common occurrence, believe it or not. I this is this is why I don't invest in any Chinese company because the risk to reward ratio just with all the frauds I've seen over the years is astronomical because you have something like this where no one does the due diligence until it's too late. Right. And um, it, that, that's a fascinating story, Luck and Coffee is, but it's uh, and more is still going to come out about it, I'm sure. Um, but you, you just have to be skeptical of anything that comes out of that country. And, you know, for example, they had 80,000 cases and all of a sudden it just fell off a cliff. That's not how viruses work. No. It's always a bell curve. Yeah. So you don't just drop off new cases like you don't, don't just drop off a cliff. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's unless you stop reporting like, it. <laughs> the only new cases are coming from foreigners. You know, that was How is that possible? Exactly. So you it's a virus needs the only way that a virus spreads is if it like it lays dormant. Like how does that happen if it's foreigners coming in? Yeah. That, make, that logically doesn't make sense. It's all about optics. Yeah. with the Chinese government. And, you know, I don't want to come off as a nationalist or, you know, or your typical co- yeah, yeah. Or your typical conservative that just, you know, like I say you painted a picture that, you know, no, every Trump supporter is, you know. Yeah, we but do- that's valid, though. You know, it's not, like, the biggest takeaway that I have, and I am not a Trump supporter. Right. I will say that on the record. Um I consider myself a centrist and a libertarian. The thing that I've taken away from this situation is how much we rely on China for manufacturing most of the goods that we need to be self-sustainable in the time of a crisis. Right. Like, we get it's 90... Scary. It's scary. The, nine, the fact that we get 90% of our pharmaceutical drugs from China, mm-hmm. I find a little bit ridiculous. And the fact that... but. We've also made our, con- our uh, economy, like you were saying before, a service-based economy. We don't have manufacturing as one of those big pillars. It's still here. Mm-hmm. I, those are the companies that I service. Right. But we don't have factories like we used to, like how Detroit was a, back in like the 60s the 50s and 60s it was considered like the new paris of the world Mm -hmm. because of all the manufacturing and opportunities most of there's the second biggest middle eastern population in the world in dearborn michigan because of all of those jobs and manufacturing and opportunity they came over here for that did you know that no dude they like biggest lebanese population outside of the middle east some of the best food that I've ever had in my life mm-hmm. is in Detroit, Michigan. Nicest That's crazy. People, nicest people in the world. Yeah. But 
that was all stemming. <laughs> it from... looks so out of place in Detroit. Oh my god! Like it's yeah. literally the exact opposite from where they came. You're right. Like, oh, you're from the desert. Why don't we put you in the cold of Michigan? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, those those winters up north are fucking <sighs> brutal, man. I've never been through one. It's you have no idea. No, and Detroit's been... worse than where I was from. We got it pretty bad, but fuck, Detroit's you know about 10 12 hours north of where i'm from and it's you you have no idea no and we when i went up there uh this christmas i went up there a little bit before then for a concert and what concert grizz oh nice <laughs> yeah i went to i went to his uh grizzmas concert where he does like a holiday event is he from detroit yeah he's from detroit that makes sense yeah he played at the masonic temple it was a beautiful concert both nights he did like a throwback set and one with his new album um, one where it was like a traditional DJ set, and mm-hmm. then one where it was just like the performance where he's huge visuals, him playing saxophone with all yeah, of his he's friends. talented. He's fun. He's, he's a fun, performer, man. man. He's, he's good, man. He's he's got a good message too. Yeah. You know, like it's all, and I know that everybody's all about love and positivity, but there's I haven't ever come across somebody where it radiates out of them like him Mm -hmm. where you can tell that like this is that's his mission is to play his music right and that is so unique because i think that with a lot of music people get stuck in that journey like you were talking about with yourself Mm -hmm. where it's they're so engrossed in the product that they're making instead of realizing that once they release it it's no longer theirs Mm -hmm. and I know that we got off topic, but uh, it that winter, like it was thirty, like I would say it was like twenty nine, twenty eight, mm-hmm. and then it snowed mm-hmm. bad. Like it came down quick, uh-huh. and it was everywhere. And I hadn't experienced that type of snow in probably ten years prior to that, mm-hmm. and it made me realize. The reason why I don't live up north. Right. Yeah. Right. You know. Um, the worst is the wind, man. People don't people don't yeah. know what negative ten, negative twenty degree wind chill feels like. I mean, yeah. you just walk outside and you want to, you want to cry. <laughs> and it cuts through your bones. Yeah. Like it go. It, it's not. I mean, Florida has nothing like that. Where no. it's. I mean, it's a wet cold here, especially when it's like thirty degrees. Yeah. It gets it. It gets on. Un- it gets uncomfortable because you can't escape it because it's everywhere because you're wet because it's humid but mm-hmm. up there it's just it's miserable um i'm gonna wrap this thing up man but god damn this is a good fucking podcast yeah yeah i'll uh i'll end with this so looking forward uh especially in the market um you know, i've mentioned this before you know i think we will fully recover um the biggest risk moving forward is we get in another pissing match with China and our basically the trade deal that they struck just blows up and we start from square one. On top of that, long term, the amount of debt we're taking on, and a lot, the amount of money that we're printing, and there goes a motorcycle because we're doing this outside right now. Um, our... The amount of debt that we're taking on as a country is scary. 
and we're just kicking the can further and further down the road. Right. Over, you know, next, we'll call it next five years or so, I'm pretty bullish on the economy, okay? Outside of that, at some point, we're going to have to deal with the amount of debt we've taken on. Or we don't. Or we just keep or we just kicking keep the collecting can. debt. Yeah, keep kicking the can further and further down the road, and you know that's that would be a whole another hour conversation as to you know what happens if shit finally hits the fan. Very bullish on the economy, on the U.S. economy, the next five years. But I'm also very bullish on gold. Gold being because of the amount of money printing and the amount of debt that we're taking on. Um, Traditionally, for younger individuals like us, would be 100% stocks. Okay, there it, the risk. To, it makes no sense to hold any bonds in your portfolio if you're in your young 20s, young early 30s, even early 40s. Just doesn't pay. Doesn't make sense. I've slowly upped all my younger clients into at least 10% gold. because of the reason I just stated. Yep. Some point we're gonna have to deal with the amount of debt we've taken on. We did it in 08 and 09, we never dealt with it. We just kept taking on more and more. Then this occurred, we piled on more and more. At some point, we're gonna have to pay the piper. And when that happens, and when we really start to be fiscally responsi responsible, if we ever do, or if we have just decide to keep kicking the can further and further down the road, it's only going to exasperate the problem. So what would make, and this is going to be my last follow-up question, <laughs> why would we confront it if we can just kick the can down the road? Would another country, because we're borrowing against China, right? Yeah, China holds a lot of our debt. Um, like, who would be collecting on that debt? Because that's the question, is, like, who would be coming to us to hold us accountable? Well, at some point, worst-case scenario, at some point, we're, we would default, and we just wouldn't pay because we wouldn't have the ability to pay. So we would default on you know, to whoever the other counterparty is, and then the U.S. dollar doesn't become the world reserve currency anymore. And then what happens, I don't know. No. Anarchy. Right. <laughs> Part of the reason why we're able to take on so much debt is because we are the largest economy in the world. And we do have the reserve currency of the dollar. People believe in the dollar. That can only last for so long if we keep taking on more and more debt. So we either become fiscally responsible and get our debt to GDP ratio back in line, or we keep kick kicking the can further and further down the road. I mean, from a personal standpoint, just think of you personally. If you have a bunch of credit card debt, you either keep living outside your means and keep taking on more and more, and that debt just becomes unpayable and you end up going bankrupt, or you become fiscally responsible and handle the debt. It's the same thing as a country. So, you know, right now, um, like I said, I'm, I'm very bullish on the economy in the short term. Because short term, there, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no risk of that. But 
we keep kicking the can further and further down the road, it's going to be a problem. Um, so that's why I'm upping a lot of my clients into more and more gold. And uh, you know, if you take a take a look at a five-year chart of gold, it's actually outperformed the U.S. market, which is crazy, even though we've been on one of the best bull equity markets over the past five years. So it's it's uh, it's something to keep in the back of your mind right now. It's not an immediate problem, but it's uh, something that we're going to have to deal with at some point in the future. Blake, where can we find you on social media, man? This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, my most active um, page is probably my investment account on Facebook. Um, just just Google my name or just search my name on Facebook, Blake Fosfett um, slash CFA, CFP. Can you spell your last name? Yeah. <laughs> Sp so spelling my last name over the phone... <laughs> And probably on this, everything sounds the same. So it's F O S T as in Tom, V as in Victor, E D T. So if I just said that over the phone, F O S T V E D T, the last four or five syllables sound the same. Yeah. How many D's? <laughs> it's T T. No, it's T T. There's two V's. So. Was there an F? Yeah. A Q? Was there a Q in there? <laughs> yeah. It's I've 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 heard it all. It's uh, <laughs> I usually have to spell out my name. You know, F is in Frank, O is in Oscar, S is in Sam. But yeah, uh, that's how you find me. Um, my Facebook page, my investment page is probably my most active. That I post periodic thoughts. I write my own you know articles. LinkedIn is another one. I I post the same information to both Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, but just to offer kind of a different perspective than what you're probably being, you know, told by on CNBC or, you know, Fox News or any of the major news organizations about what's going on in the market and what investments to look at. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that I've gained a lot from that because you have a very interesting perspective and a unique voice within a field that, no offense, very boring. Yeah, and it's hard, and it's hard to understand. Yeah, when from the outside looking in, and you make it very personable, and you have a very unique perspective on the way that the market's going, or the way that you act, and also the fact that you are under thirty and you're young. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people get really tired of like somebody that looks like their dad telling them what to do with their money. Right. You know? Right. I mean that's. Yeah, that's certainly that's certainly part of it. I mean, it's um, um, being able to have someone you know around your same age that uh, it's just more relatable. Like yep. you say, you don't want to be kind of talked to, no. like you know your dad's talking to you. So it's uh, you know I, I try to offer, like I said, a unique perspective into what's going on and uh, where I think things are going, and you know I I hope people find it useful. I know that I've found it useful and I know that I've gained a lot from this conversation and I appreciate your perspective and thank you for coming on this podcast with me. I know that we're going to do another one down the road. Oh, for sure. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. <laughs> well, guys, this has been a, another honest conversation. My name's Lukey B. Thank you guys for listening. Take care.